0: For more than 10 years, LawCover has been visiting law firms to support them with risk management issues. These law firm visits have given LawCover a unique perspective on legal practice health. In this program, Malcolm Heath, Legal Risk Manager at LawCover, and Jen McMillan, Legal Practice Consultant at LawCover, share lessons from 10 years of law firm visits, focusing on the recurring risk areas that come up in every legal practice.
1: Good morning, Malcolm, and welcome to Risk On Air.
0: Thanks, Jen. It's great to be here.
1: So in this podcast, we're going to be talking about some of the lessons we've learnt from the years of the firm visits, and we're going to focus particularly on three aspects of running a legal practice. Firstly, planning, secondly, file management, and thirdly, technology risks. But before we get down to those lessons that we've learned, Malcolm, can you just explain what led to LawCover setting up the law firm visit programs?
0: Sure, Jen. From LawCover's claims data, which spans almost 30 years now, we've got comprehensive evidence of the specific causes of professional negligence claims and the legal service areas from where the claims arise. And we know the causes are typically due to poor communications with clients. That's over 40% of all claims. That's a lot, isn't it? It is, yes. And the problem with the firm's systems and documentation, that's another one third of all claims, and also incorrect advice. The information provides a really helpful base point to help address the problems, but it lacked the essential ingredient in answering, why did the problem rise in the first place, Mm. and what's going on at the firm, and importantly, what's not going on in the firm. So we're really looking at the cause of the cause. And so Law Cover decided to initiate a program to get out to the law firms, um, very much in a supportive role, And have the conversations with the solicitors and their staff to make an assessment and see, you know, are there areas that we can offer suggestions for improvement?
1: Yeah. And it's really about helping principals to um, better understand themselves, the areas of risk that have given rise to those sort of cause of the cause things, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, When we go and visit the firms, we look at a whole range of practice management issues and it's... all the way from finances and client selection on one hand to culture and work-life balance on the other. But we do find that all of those things have an element of risk management. So today what we're going to do is just draw on three of those areas that we look at to see whether we can reach some conclusions about what lessons can be taken for law firms generally. So we're going to look at planning and file management and technology risk but let's start with planning. This is an issue that comes up time and time again and Mm. when we say planning we could be talking about a plan to grow a legal practice or a plan to focus on a particular type of legal work Um, or increasingly important I think is succession planning for when a sole practitioner wants to retire. Mm -hmm. Um, Planning is something that in my experience, some firms do well, but there are a lot of firms that really just ignore it.
0: Yeah, so true, Jen. Um, it's, a, it's a real area of concern in the sense that um, it's a struggle for many solicitors and the solicitors that we see to develop a good, good planning processes. And so one of the questions we ask when visiting the law firm and asking the owners is the fundamental one is what's the law practice's purpose? And often there can be quite a long pause after asking that question. It becomes a little bit embarrassing. Isn't
1: it obvious? <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's right. And often it will be said, like, it's what the law practice does and the type of law they do, and that's fine, that's fabulous and should be well known. But what is the purpose of the practice in terms of it, its future and as a business? So... It's a good indication if the owner can't articulate their practice's purpose well, it's a good indication that there may be other problems occurring within the practice.
1: Yeah, it could be a bit of a gap in in planning. One place to start is to think about the planning for the structure of the practice itself. Can you give us an example perhaps of of a firm that that hasn't really got the, the structural basis down pat?
0: Yes, um, and the structure can come in the form of simple partnership agreement, or not necessarily simple, but the partnership agreement. And I've been to one firm where I'll give the example, there are four partners and they had yet to formalise the partnership agreement after 25 years Ah. in practice. It had remained as a draft and they said, look, it's just been as a draft. And so suggested let's move on and (laughs) formalise that draft because it is such an important document for the firm. Particularly as the relationship within the partners was fabulous, there's no doubt about that. They had experienced some claims, so within that there were some indicators that things weren't going on particularly well within the practice itself and having that opportunity to visit visit the firm and ask some questions about the firm, they could identify for themselves shortcomings. One was that practice partnership because it helps structure the practice, also helps protect one another. They have an understanding of the profit share arrangements, they have an understanding if the practice needs to dissolve or if one of them leave. And who knows when a partner may leave. You know, we've seen external events such as a uh, marriage breakdown or even um, a new marriage and changing um, the whole structure of their financial needs and that practitioner may need to leave Um, and do other things in their life, to tend for a sick child or family member. So to have that document in place is is critical.
1: Yeah. That um, succession planning for illness or death or retirement... Um, It's really important and I know the Law Society has an initiative to try and encourage particularly sole practitioners to nominate somebody who will be able to conduct an if necessary seller practice in the event of unexpected illness or death. And it's really something that lawyers even early in their careers should be thinking about, shouldn't they?
0: Most definitely. There may be a time when they've got to leave the practice for a certain period of time, could be their own illness, a family member's illness. Do they have a locum, for example, who can come on board? Do they have the networks? They may have a, a colleague from another law practice with a very good relationship who could step in and assist with files or the running of the practice as well. And that then helps think, let the practitioner think about succession planning. What am I going to do in the future? And importantly, that first question is, where do I want to end? You know, how will I leave practice? Because there will be a time yeah. in that practitioner's life where they will leave practice and hopefully it's by choice and plan rather than need and um, and also unexpected um, or unforeseen circumstances and therefore they're trapped because they don't have any plan to then have the pla- the practice succeed.
1: Yeah. So some of the sorts of examples of succession plans that you've seen
0: In writing is the classic one. (laughs) And a big part of the succession plan is having that business plan. We'll um, speak a little bit more about business plans uh, later on. But it is documented and there's the thinking by the, the owner of if it's an internal succession plan where they're looking at a solicitor taking on the practice, him or herself, to recruit accordingly and to identify the characteristics of of the solicitor joining the the practice as to whether it's something that they would like to do and they would want to do down the track. And um, then look at that management plan for succession. If it's sale, then to have the practice from day one in an orderly manner with the business planning, uh, with the finances in, in place mm. and the records in place is so important. So that it
1: can be transparent for a potential buyer coming in. Exactly yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Even if even if you don't intend to sell for some time, having things in shape.
0: Yes, yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. Um, One of the questions that we always ask when we do our firm visits is whether they've got a business plan in place. And in my experience, the answer is nearly always no. But then you go and talk to the practitioners and sometimes they'll have a very clear idea in mind for the direction that they want the firm to go in. For example, they might have decided that they want to focus on servicing a particular industry and they're going to wind down other practice areas that aren't within that um, core area of focus. It's just that they haven't put anything in writing. Yeah. Um, do you think it's important, Malcolm, to put it in writing?
0: I do. I do. Um, I think it's crucial to put it in writing. I do appreciate those who have got a very clear understanding in their own minds of where the practice is going, and that is fabulous, it really is. However, when we see distressed practices, and unfortunately we, we do see a number of those, the solicitor is so focused on the client and the client matter that they can lose track of the direction of the practice, and so that clear thought and clarity of where the practice is going dissipates because of the problems that are facing the firm and particularly when it's financial problems. So a lot of that planning um, is is forgotten, focusing on the next client, the next piece of work coming in. So to put it in writing, I can't emphasise enough how important that is. Mm. And to refer and to check, because under distress, it's really hard to remember with clarity uh, when it is documented and it's, if you like, the living document, mm-hmm. then it will be referred to and um, it's a really good point.
1: Yeah. And I think there's a tendency for a lot of lawyers to put their clients and their client work first and, you know, obviously that's what brings the money in the door. But you're not doing yourself any favours if you don't devote some of your energy to thinking about what you want to be getting out of practice.
0: That's right and it is that discipline of getting onto the business plan early on too because the the love of the work, the passion of the work, the interest in the matters always will, will be, you know, number one. Um, the business planning is, is often looked upon as the, the chore and the boring part. And if that's the case, it can be put off and put off. You know, I've visited a law firm where they presented their business plan. Um, it was quite recent. And uh, when I visited the firm and the business plan was dated 2012. And um, <laughs> while well, it was good to see that it, it, it had been made, the problem was then it was just shelved, um, documented. that so it and, wasn't uh, a
1: living document. No, that was not a living document. <laughs> and
0: a lot has changed <laughs> yeah. in, in six years. And it
1: doesn't need to be long or complicated, does it's it?
0: Exactly right. Simple business plans. You know, they can be yeah. one pages of fabulous. Yeah. And I think that deters some people wanting to have that perfect document, it, it can grow as well. There may be just the plan starting off looking at the financial plan, first of all, yeah. um, or the legal services that we're offering and not offering, importantly, yeah. have it documented.
1: Yeah. What other things do you think are important to have document besides what you've what you've mentioned, financials and practice areas that you operate in?
0: I'll highlight again the documenting the areas that you don't practice in because we see Mm. a number of solicitors who have uh, got in problems taking on work outside their area of expertise that they normally wouldn't take on and that's been the one that's come back to bite them in terms of a claim. So if it is documented, it does make that more of a policy decision that we will not practice in these areas. It's across the firm Mm. and it's there. I suggest for the solicitors to write down their ideal client. Mm. Visualise and document what the ideal client is and that helps then make that commitment. So if you like, when the unideal client comes in, it's a lot easier to refer elsewhere. Yeah. And uh, too often we know that the solicitor has had a horrible time with that difficult client. They wish they never would have taken the first place and their gut feel was, no, no, don't take on this client. But for whatever reason, they drop their guard a little bit and um, then that turns out to be the client from hell, as the yeah. expression is.
1: Yeah. What about discounting policies?
0: Yes, look, if there are discounting, to definitely have a policy in writing. And I query it because I'm yet to be demonstrated a discounting policy that has business planning validity. Often it's a motive and it's the perceived need to discount because the firm down the road discounts, so therefore we have to. And the trap with that is, we don't know the firm down the road's business plan. We don't know their operating costs, their overheads, whether it's a profitable plan or not. So we're trapped into a pricing policy. And I'll then suggest to the solicitor to write down that as their discount policy, what they charge down the street, which doesn't come across particularly sophisticated. So discounting is a really important area where, unfortunately, I think there is that trap to we must discount. But stepping back a bit and reevaluating what is it that you're discounting, And does the client even understand the value of that discount? Because if they don't understand the work and the value of the work, Mm -hmm. then the discount is just a dollar thing and it's going to be a chase to the bottom getting the cheapest possible service that the client doesn't fully understand.
1: Yeah. And sometimes if the client's not prepared to pay, that's not a client that you want to have.
0: That's right. That's when you look at what's your ideal client that (laughs) you've got documented. And it's one who does want to pay and does respect and appreciate the work. And they pay promptly. (laughs)
1: Yeah. So just to summarise the points on planning, um, when we talk about planning, we're talking about business planning on the one hand, succession planning in particular, I think, is really important. And although it's something that a lot of solicitors put off or don't consider to be key to what they do or what they like doing, um, it's really about putting yourself ahead of your clients occasionally and thinking about the long term.
0: That's right. And and looking at that practice as, as the business and looking after it. Once upon a time it was easy to set a price and be profitable and those days are well and truly gone. So the discipline of business planning is essential.
1: Yeah. Well we might move on now to talk about file management and um, some of the issues that come to our attention in the firm visits in relation to good practice when it comes to managing matters.
0: Look, Jen, that's very true. There's, it's one area where there's a very clear link between poor systems and claims. And we, when we talk about file management, it could be as simple as a sole practitioner having an effective file review and diary calendar management system. Good file opening processes and good file closing processes as well, which is uh, critical. And um, it's one area that we find that some uh, solicitors will manage the file very well, but it's not closed. They haven't written to the client explaining that the matter is now complete and the client's left hanging, they think that the solicitor's still acting for them?
1: Yes. And a classic area where that that can come up is if it's um, been a commercial leasing matter and there's an option to renew and the solicitor has closed his file but hasn't told the client that they're going to be responsible for remembering when they need to renew the option. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, For firms who... For smaller firms who may want to double check whether the procedures they've got in place for things like file opening and file closing and verification of identity, LawCover has got on its website um, some legal practice checks that could be a useful resource for firms to turn to. Um, They're
0: fabulous. They really are fabulous, the checks. They're simple and they're designed not to be prescriptive, but to allow the solicitor to think about the systems he or she has and where there are gaps or shortfalls, and to consider addressing those.
1: Yes. And even um, practices that have got their own checks and have had for many years, it's always a good idea to have a look at somebody else's and see whether there might be something that's picked up there that you don't have in your own check.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very true.
1: Yeah. So um, file management for a sole practitioner is in some ways simpler um, if there are no employed solicitors or particularly newly admitted solicitors. But um, but any firm that has got employed solicitors and newly admitted solicitors, um, there are really important lessons that have come to us around um, supervision and how getting that yeah. right or wrong can be critical.
0: Oh, that's so true. It is a crucial area, Jen. Our statistics don't reveal poor supervision <laughs> as a cause of a claim, and uh, that may be because it's looked at as pon- uh, it's denied that it's, it wasn't supervising poorly. It was the employed solicitor's fault. Yes. When we do the firm visits, we do see a very different picture. And uh, interviewing the, uh, the solicitors, the owners, and also the employed solicitors, we can get um, very different messages coming through as to supervision. And it's a critical area, isn't it? It's it's um, one that's, yeah. well, the, the rules don't define what supervision is and there's not a lot of um, training in, in supervision for solicitors. So it's actually a, a skill that needs to be developed. Yeah. And I think for any solicitor who's going to be taking on staff, employed solicitors and administrative staff, then um, supervision skills development is, is a, a crucial area. Yeah. I've spoken to solicitors in um, a number of times when they've said they've been left to their own devices. They're on a restricted pricing certificate and for two years they've been left on their own and then the
1: And we wonder why claims come in. <laughs>
0: well, that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah, it's so true. And another solicitor just recently was saying that he's when he first started with the firm, he would not be paid unless he brought in work. And wow, then was expected that's tough. Oh, totally. And then was expected to do it under his own Guys, and so there's a breach of, you know, supervision there as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's really hard on the newly admitted solicitor, but it's an enormous risk for the principal of the practice. And any practice that takes on the responsibility of supervising someone really needs to have good systems, particularly systems around file review, in place so that the supervising practitioner as well as the employed solicitor has a look at that file periodically and makes sure that it's on track. Um, File review systems, um, I've been to some practice where there appears to be no file review system whatsoever and then at the other extreme I've seen some really sensational examples Mm. of good systems in practices where the one I'm thinking of, there there was one principal and six employed solicitors and he had... um, weekly file review meetings, um, where using his um, file management systems, he was able, without actually looking at the physical files, to see where things were at and talk to his um, solicitors about it. And he was able to look at the most recent documents that had been sent out on those files using using his software. Um, But the thing that he did that I really liked was that he had a regular meeting where solicitors were asked to bring along and they had to bring at least one, but any files where there were roadblocks or difficulties Mm -hmm. so that all of the solicitors in the firm could help with formulating a plan to progress the file wonderful, um, and it was done in yeah. a really constructive way and it was clear that the solicitors didn't feel like they were going to get blamed or humiliated if there was something that was wrong with the file, yeah. they were just going to get supported to reach a resolution that would f- advance the file for the client Yeah, uh, wonderful. and I guess, wonderful. I guess one of the things about that is that it speaks to the culture of the firm.
0: Yeah. yeah, I was just going to say that that really does say a lot about the culture of the firm and we we see that that's such an important part too because delay where a solicitor may be sitting on that file that classic roadblock unable to progress it and it becomes a psychological barrier too because without having that culture where you can put up your hand and as you say and then have that discussion with other colleagues about a particular file it then becomes an embarrassment and then the time frame becomes where it's you just can't talk about it because it's beyond embarrassing now it's excruciating so it tries to be hidden and that's where we've seen delays arise and that's nine percent of all claims so it's a problematic area it's identified with the cost of it severity is significant and that type of culture that you refer to is the one that we would certainly encourage to have um, the talk and the discussion with files
1: yeah and I think the thing about culture is that it has to be from the top down there's if you're if you're The least experienced employed solicitor in the firm you're not going to really be able to influence that very much but if you're the principal of the firm you're in a really good place to be able to set the tone and make sure that you're running your practice in a way where it's undoubtedly profitable because you're able to delegate lots of work but it's also managing your risk because you're on top of what's going on and you're seeing the fires and putting them out before they turn into something worse.
0: Yeah, so true. That leadership quality is is vital and that all fits in the whole culture of the the law firm and the way things are communicated internally because we know that breakdown between communications with the solicitor and client represents over 40% of all claims. Interestingly, we see the breakdown of communications internally, and it's not surprising then to see that then it flows on to the client. So with excellent leadership and a positive culture like that, it again minimises the likelihood of these claims arising. Mm.
1: Yeah. So we'll move on to the last point that we wanted to cover in today's podcast, and that's Technology and mm. particularly some of the emerging risks for law firms with technology. From the law visits that you've been involved in, Malcolm, what do you think are the main issues here?
0: Yeah, look, it's interesting, Jen. I see the good, the excellent, the bad, <laughs> and the ugly. Yeah. Um, we see a big cross range, don't we, in, um, we do. so, in sophistication and lack thereof in the whole area of really computer IT literacy. And so We will encourage solicitors to look at their systems, are they up to date, hardware and software, to encourage them to have an IT consultant or consultancy firm support them and also, It's now the time when we really need to do some checks on our consultants and see that they have a reputation and that we feel comfortable with the quality of work that they're providing. But drilling right down to a a mini due diligence of the IT consultants and down to even police check records, because if they've got access to your firm's critical data, then we want to make sure that they are of a high quality. Also that the backups that are done are checked regularly. We've had problems um, more recently with ransomware and that firm was diligently backing up, which was great until the backups were checked and the computers were locked out, unable to work on and the backups had failed. So that is like the worst case disaster simply because that checking of the backups hadn't been um, organised as well. Mm. So now we've got the issue of cyber risk, which has been around for a very, very long time but it's increasing that we're seeing The fraudsters
1: seem to be getting more sophisticated though, don't you think?
0: (laughs) Well, they are. They are and the fraudsters though have always done one thing and that's look for vulnerabilities. Yeah. And so along a link of a process, you look for the vulnerables and unfortunately email is it at the day. day. It has been for a long time, but the fraudsters are tapping into it and, and they're monitoring, they're able to hack in to vulnerable email systems and monitor.
1: Yeah. One thing that lawyers can do if they're not sure of whether they're meeting an appropriate standard in their technology is to go onto the Law Cover website and do the cyber risk assessment yeah. that's there. Uh, if nothing else, it might just alert the practice to areas where there could be improvements and and trying to close down on some of that vulnerability.
0: That's right, and to add to that too, it's um, totally confidential. We don't collect any data. So if the solicitor does have a fairly poor rating on it, don't worry, we don't get to find out about (laughs) it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah and it's not all bad news um, right. I mean we we have um, seen um, a lot of email frauds um, particularly targeting payments coming from solicitors and their trust accounts. Yeah. Um, and recently I had a firm visit where the principals had really taken on board the scam alerts that have been put out by the Law Society. They mm-hmm. were very much aware of the problem. They personally knew a firm that had been targeted yeah. and they had undergone a really thorough education process with their staff, which I think is really fantastic. So the staff were very much aware that you didn't just take bank account details that had been provided by email on face value. They, yeah. they were doing a, a proper verification, getting the client on the phone, double checking bank account details before doing a transfer. Yep. So it's really good to see people adopting those sorts of risk-aware practices.
0: Yeah, that is excellent. Yeah. Yep.
1: We should also mention the group cyber risk policy that law cover has taken out to cover its mm. insureds. It's a base level of cyber insurance and, and I suppose where the law cover policy protects, lawyers against claims by third parties, the cyber policy is really there for the protection of the firm itself in some ways. And it seems to be particularly good for a first response. So for those situations where a firm becomes aware that their emails have been hacked Mm -hmm. or if the firm is a subject of a ransomware attack, the first thing that they should do would be to contact the incident response team on the Barbican cyber policy as fast as they can. Yes. And, and we might just mention the number that you call for that. It's 1800 Breach or 1800 273
0: 224. Yeah, that's very important to know. That Some uh, firms still don't realise that they have this policy available. And to draw on that, there there is support straight away and there's some great resources there as well and uh, it's been a great help to a number of firms already.
1: It really has. Um, If you want to find out any more about that policy, you can look on the Law Cover website which contains links to lots of details about that cyber policy which is just a base level of of coverage. It may not be enough for every firm Mm. but particularly for that first response situation, I think it's really invaluable.
0: Yeah, yeah, very true.
1: Yeah. Well, that concludes our podcast today. Thank you very much for joining me, Malcolm.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure, Jen. really is. Thanks for listening to Risk On Air by LawCover. Join us for the next episode and subscribe to stay up to date.